Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Hey, 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 First Gen Nation. I hope you all are doing well on this beautiful, summery, late spring day. And we're getting to those longest days of the year here as we move into late May. And, uh, you know, summer equinox is rapidly approaching. Now, when I talk about this, it makes me think back to when we first started the show about a year ago from now. And uh, one of the first episodes, I think it was episode two, Brandon and I, we went through and talked about how successful our spring outdoor pursuits were. So we talked turkeys, we talked a little shed hunting, we talked a little uh, fishing, and we talked about mushroom hunting. If you remember, I had to kind of educate Brandon on on what these uh, these mushrooms were. And uh, we talked, uh, I told him about morels, and I also reported that I didn't find any last year. And um, I had a decent shed hunting season, and I went turkey hunting for the first time, and I think fishing had been pretty good as well. But yeah, that was kind of my update. Well, staying true to the to uh, what I had said last year, turkeys have been better this year. I didn't get one, of course, but I saw some birds. Definitely heard a bunch of gobbles. Only got out one time, but I, I consider that a success right there. Sheds were much better, even even better than last year, which was previously my best year. I had a good, really good year this year looking for sheds. And I actually found a couple of morels. Uh, went out with the family about a week ago, a week and a half ago, and uh, we turned up a couple of morels. It was a late season hunt, but man, was it a lot of fun doing that with them. I allowed, allowed uh, my son and my daughter to pick them. They thought that was pretty cool. And of course, uh, we were able to eat eat them. My wife did a nice job frying them up. We had them with some uh, deer steak from uh, my buck this year. And uh, it's just a great meal and a great time outside. So I bring it up because so much of what this show has been is a, is a period of growth for me. And I hope it's been the same for you. But I feel like I need to thank you for it because you are the purpose that I, I that that keeps me going back each week, recording these interviews and uh, editing them up and putting them out there for you. And in doing so, man, have I gotten to rub shoulders and and just talk and exchange text messages and grip and grin photos. And there's all kinds of, you know, you get to hear about like an hour and a half to two hours of that conversation that we have. But before the show, we talk after the show, we talk a little bit. And then, like I said, there's all the other communication that goes on even beside that. And through that, I have become a much better outdoorsman as evidenced by my, although small, my measurable growth from this spring compared to last spring. And so I want to thank you for that, for the part that you play in that. Well, today's episode provides another chance for growth for both you and me as hunters. Uh, We're talking to a guy who is a local out in the really cool, rugged, steep state of Idaho. And he's going to tell us all about hunting elk out there. Now, Casey Byers, who our guest 
who is our guest on this show. He's not originally from there, and he'll talk about that a little bit in the show. But in his uh, relatively short time of living out there, he has been tremendously successful hunting elk. And uh, he's going to share some of his expertise with us and really some some good base level stuff in this one, but really some excellent high level stuff as well. Some top shelf information on, on using thermals to uh, best uh, play the scent game and uh, really, I think, sets anyone who listens in on a much better trajectory for finding some success out chasing elk out west so it's a great one and on top of that i brought in a familiar voice mr alex gruen to give us our tip of the day on how to get into elk shape so you'll hear that later in this episode but for now let's get rolling here talking with casey here on episode 55 of the first gen hunter podcast thanks so much for listening Now, here is a college reunion of unlikely sorts. Brandon and Casey were several years ahead of me in school, several years my senior. They're basically old men. Um, I have gray hair now, but since they were, you know, at least three, four years ahead of me in school, I'm sure that's probably all these these two have these days. But uh, <laughs> we, uh, we never really got to know each other all that well while we were at school. But here we are, the three of us, we, you know, lived probably, let's see, you were in the neighboring dorm to Brandon and me. So we all kind of like lived, slept, did homework within a couple hundred yards of each other. And I think tonight we are going to talk to each other more <laughs> than we ever have as a group before. And uh, let's and see. What's, what's crazy is that we were in a small college. I mean, it wasn't That's right. right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's right. And, and what's even crazier is right now we're representing three different time zones and, <laughs> and, uh, we're finally, we're finally talking, but you know what? I bring that up because I think it highlights the power of the hunting community, because that is what it took <laughs> to bring us all together is to talk some good old hunting. And, uh, that's what we're doing tonight, but we're going to spend our time talking in the context of Casey's time zone. How's that for a segue, Brandon? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk in the context of hunting some elk out in Idaho. And I'm going to call it, I'm going to tick some people off here. If you're a, if you're a Montanan, listen in. I'm going to say the real last best place as of now. <laughs> it, I can't, well in the lower in the lower 48 i agree but alaska would be yes. alaska would top Idaho. yeah yeah that's true but but uh yeah and in, in, in all seriousness you know i love montana i've been to montana a whole bunch of times i used to dream of of the day my dad would take me backpacking on kind of the uh you know the the trip that he would do with his friends and um I still love Montana. I think it's one of the coolest states, um, but it's kind of becoming kind of like, uh, would you say like Colorado a little bit? You know, when you when you go to uh, Denver, the word has gotten out on how cool De Denver and Colorado is. <laughs> you go out there and it is the big old city. And uh, just, uh, you know, it kind of it takes away some of that, some of that, 
feeling of heading west. You know what I mean? Where you're you're just mm-hmm. like getting farther from that. You're going. You, you get that little bit of a pioneer feeling. The feeling you got when you're playing the Oregon Trail on your uh, parents' computer when you're a kid. But uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Idaho though, and this is kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Idaho, I think, is just rugged enough that you really got to want to live there if you're going to live there. Would you agree with that, Casey? Uh, well, it depends on where you live in Idaho. I mean, it's, I live not in the Boise Valley, but about 40 minutes from, from Boise. And Boise itself and the surrounding area of Boise is just exploding. Um, it's oh, really? It's a huge population. It's, it's, it's insane. Uh, this whole COVID thing and the mass exodus of people out of California and uh, Washington mm. and Oregon, mm. there's there is it, it's uh, you can't go anywhere without seeing new construction and wow. uh, mm-hmm. yeah yeah during like about a year ago i looked at all rental prices just for the fun of it one way one way rental u-haul to go from seattle washington to boise and boise to seattle and then portland oregon to boise and boise to portland and it was 10 times the price to go from those cities to Boise than it was to go from Boise to those cities. That's how hard it is for those companies to get, because everybody's leaving, everybody's piling out of those places. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, even though I'm relatively new to Idaho, I grew up in the Midwest. So I don't, I don't have that. um, When people are like, Oh, are you from Idaho? As soon as you say no, the locals assume you're from California. Mm-hmm. So I, I <laughs> say no, I'm not from around here, but I'm not, but I'm not from California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Oh man, that's, uh, they have a reputation. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, so, anyways, it's it's an interesting dynamic in the Boiseville, in the Boise area. But but once you get outside of Boise, then yeah, I would agree with you. It, especially northern Idaho, it is you know the winters are brutal. Um, it's rugged. You know, and there's not sure. a whole lot of modern conveniences. And so, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. When, whenever I see, you know, most of my, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I have spent very little time. In fact, I had to be reminded that, yeah, well, you drove through, through, uh, Idaho once we stopped at a McDonald's to go to the bathroom on our way home. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, is actually when I was, uh, that's one of the, is that the only time that might be the only time. I have seen a uh, moose. I saw a cow moose with calves as w- right as we were leaving uh, the, it's the South gate, right? Of Yellowstone that goes into Idaho there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was like, yep. I mean, immediately out of the park, there was a, there was a cow with, with twin calves, but um, nice. yeah, that, that was my very, very limited uh, portion of Idaho, my, my Idaho experience. But I do want to say this too. Maybe you know something about this, Casey. I have heard recently that near that very area that I just mentioned, isn't there like some kind of like area there where, uh, that like some attorney years ago wrote a book or mentioned in a book about how somebody could like commit murder and essentially get away with it because they wouldn't be able to pull together a jury 
or they would have a really hard time pulling together a jury for that area. It was, it had something to do with like uh, Idaho law and I think Wyoming law, and then also how national park jurisdiction factors into that or something like that. Have you heard it? You, do you know what I'm talking about? I'm totally butch- I, butchering this, but, but I heard about it recently. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something about grizzly bears. There's a lot of grizzlies. In that area. <laughs> oh, really? A lot of grizzlies there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and in the, in the whole, the Yellowstone area, you know, yeah, yeah, I know that uh, Yellowstone is definitely exploding just, with them. I just know if you go if you go elk hunting in Idaho in that area, you you definitely got to watch yourself with grizzlies. Hmm. Mm. That's that's a good that's a good point. Um, I've heard before. I I once uh, well, it was it was last time I was in Colorado, and uh, I remember uh, walking around Vail, and. Um, you know, of course, everything there in Vail is very much so the hiking and, and skiing, which is cool. You know, that's cool. But once you get bit by the hunting bug, that's like all you can think about when you, <laughs> when you think about being outside, yeah. you know. And so I'm walking around like, yeah. oh, yeah, there's someone, you know, who does skiing stuff. There's someone who's, you know, maybe into rafting or something like that. But then I came across this guy who had like Rubbermaid tubs filled with antlers <laughs> and mm. i was like there's the guy i'm oh. gonna talk to <laughs> and uh sure yeah. enough we were we like chopped it up for like i don't know 20 minutes or something and and um he uh he finds sheds and sells them people buy them for dog chews and stuff like that and he he said he's not an elk hunter himself but he uh helps friends pack out elk when they shoot him and he just he kind of filled me in on that exact situation how out in that in that area um i think he described it as grizzlies here that rifle go off and it's like hearing a dinner bell because <laughs> they know mm, they they know yeah. there's going to be an elk on the ground and uh it in a, in a sense you know it could almost be a foot race to who gets there first and yeah and uh they got a lot better nose than we do <laughs> <laughs> and uh can yeah. follow a blood trail a little bit better than we can so yeah kind of a kind of a, a scary thing when you when you really consider it but yeah that's uh that's that's um you know all part of what adds to the interest level i think the the prestige mm-hmm. or the mystique whatever i don't know what the right term is help me out here brandon <laughs> but, well well you know it's it's interesting as we're talking about it cuz i've got you know my you know as Casey was saying, you know, about a lot of people moving, you know, this kind of kind of bridges to a, you know, a, a different side of things, but, you know, it just kind of excites me that, you know, people, you know, want to get out of cities and, uh, you know, because, you know, we're same thing in Delaware here, you know, it's explosion of construction and everything, but, um, it's interesting how, you know, we had talked previously about people, you know, the COVID and everything kind of making people more aware of mm. the outdoors and wanting to get into things more. And, you know, now you're seeing people in their lifestyle kind of transition to yeah. making that more of a possibility and a reality by literally relocating the, themselves and their families to places that are generally better to raise a family, more accessible to public land, you know, public forest opportunities, you know, so it really be interesting to see how the numbers, you know, change in the coming years and hopefully in a positive way for those getting into hunting and fishing in the outdoors. So that's a pretty cool facet and it's good to see. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said, Brandon. Yeah. I, 
I would agree with that. And everybody we talk to out west that that has hunted out west for years, so they mm-hmm. they have like a historical perspective. Yeah. Last year was off the charts with how many wow. people hunted. I mean, it was huh. it was crazy, which was kind of a surprise. I thought you know budgets would be tight and yeah, people would yeah. not be able to afford it. But I think I think the people that were unaffected by COVID, meaning they kept mm-hmm. working and they weren't they were still making the money and they were getting stimulus check they were yes. putting that money and they were going they're saying okay we're gonna go out west and so yes yeah yeah we had a we had a, a really tough archery elk hunt in montana where everywhere we went there was people and that you brandon you said it was a good thing and it is a good thing but it's not yeah. a good thing when they're where you're hunting <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh man yeah yeah you know you know i think it's really interesting you know you uh, a lot of people will spend money on different things and you know they'll go and spend money on a vacation or you know you look at the outdoor side of things someone will spend you know ten thousand dollars on a on a trophy deer hunt or whatever you know i think people are realizing though as as different people get into it there's a lot to be said for the people that go out and maybe they're hunting public land and they're able to put some money into their effort you know and they're able to enjoy the process of hanging a stand or you know maybe they've got a little spot where they can put a food plot or whatever you know it's it's interesting how you know people are are willing to spend money for experiences and if and if they're intrinsically involved in the experience um i i think i think it's also a very millennial driven thing you know where people want experiences you know mm. people want to be involved in it so I, I think it's i think we have that going for us and you know if we can continue to try to facilitate mentorship and and giving these tips and pointers and helping people get into yeah. it, it you know it kind of takes care of itself once you can get someone off the ground a little bit i know that's one thing that i've realized is i've gotten people into hunting i mean honestly i've gotten people into into fishing and hunting that i would honestly i would consider them they're probably better outdoorsmen than i am now you know, <laughs> people, you, know you, you get them into it and and some people just naturally take off with it you know some people just enjoy it and kind of maintain status quo yeah. other people are like man this is my thing you know yeah. and so it's very interesting yeah. if you just expose people a little bit it's like man a lot of them they'll just take off with it you know yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah and, it, that's and sure. i mean that's a really i mean that's a good segue for like Western hunting as a whole, it's just, mm-hmm. it is an experience and there's, yes. I'm, I'm kind of stealing what I, I knew I wanted to say earlier, but just, there's so many people, I, I thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hunters in the Midwest that have hunted, mm-hmm. you know, their 40 acres or they've gone up North and they've hunted deer every single year and they hunt hard and they've dreamt of going on an elk hunt or going mm-hmm. out West and going mule deer mm-hmm. hunting or mm-hmm. whatever it was. And they never did it. And people, YouTube has made it very accessible to be able to actually see somebody who who's doing it and going yeah. out and hunting. Um, yes. And like, I don't know if either of you guys have seen the channel or heard of the channel Born and Raised Outdoors. Uh, mm, three yeah. years ago, yep. they did they did a they did a series called Land of the Free that was somewhat somewhat um, it was it was a monumental work they did. They, they hunted for 50 days straight oh, in five wow. different states um, for elk. So it was archery elk hunting. And they were big yeah. hunting. They were hunting from the truck. They were doing everything. Every style of hunting you could do for archery elk hunting, they did it in 50 days. Wow. In five different states. And so, and it was all public land, all self-guided. They weren't hunting any piece of private property. And yeah, so people cool. can see that on YouTube and say, man, 
I can do that. I'm yeah. in good shape. Mm-hmm. I've got the fundamentals of the gear because I'm a deer hunter or I'm a turkey hunter or I'm a waterfowl hunter. And so I have the basics mm-hmm. and um, I can go and do that. And so that's what, uh, that is exciting. And, it, and yes. western hunting, in my opinion, for, for North America, western mm-hmm. hunting is a really good experience. And I'm not going to say it's the best of everything and there's nothing better, but it is definitely up there, whether it's mule deer hunting or whitetail hunting. Mm-hmm. river breaks or or elk hunting there's just adventures to be had and experiences to be had and mm. um my best friend in high school growing up in michigan he was you know a guy that you mentioned where you know we introduced him to hunting his dad didn't hunt we introduced him to hunting and he, he liked it and he hunted deer but it was just sitting in a tree stand in michigan just wasn't super exciting for him mm-hmm. but he came out last year in archery elk hunter for the first time and just loved it because it's you're moving there's physical there's a physical challenge part of it and then yep. just the, what you're looking at there's just beautiful sights around you 24 7 and so that that's Man. such a great experience yeah yeah no doubt that's that sounds uh, it it definitely gets my attention and you know what i think it can kind of be summed up with that opportunity you're talking about as far as just being a place that's hard to beat to go hunt is they have what's called a general deer tag in a lot of western states (laughs) and the reason i think that is cool is because you can go hunt somewhere where yeah you might shoot a whitetail but you might also shoot a mule mule deer (laughs) yeah and that is yeah i I think that just kind of sums up the kind of unique opportunities that we can't really, I mean, we, we can see it on YouTube, like you said, and we can hear people talk about it and we can, you know, see social media posts about it and say, wow, yeah, that looks cool. But I got to think that actually being there and seeing that kind of diversity and, 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 you know, not to say that we don't have diversity in my part of the world or Brandon's part of the world when we look at some of the critters around us, but I don't know. It's, it's a lot of, it's not game species, the diversity that we do have, or, um, you know, we, we get so locked in on just one or two of those species and don't, uh, seek to really branch out and, and, uh, you know, check out what else there is to offer. And so Mm -hmm. going out West provides that perfect excuse for that. And, uh, (laughs) Brandon and I, we have a good buddy that would full heartedly, uh, agree or wholeheartedly agree. I think the phrase is with what you're saying, that'd be Mr. Uh, Alex Gruen from East West hunts who, uh, kind of backup co-hosts for, for Brandon when Mm -hmm. Brandon's all tied up and we run an ad for him on the show. And, and, uh, he, uh, he talks about just, uh, you know, how complex some of the tag application stuff can be, but also how mm-hmm. attainable it can be if you just kind of sit down and go through it. And, and, yeah. and, you know, what? I think that's part of the fun too, you know, is the, the whole strategizing part and, and, uh, you know, it bu- is. budgeting for a, a, a trip of a lifetime. Like you said, like you said, something that we all dream about. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all so much more accessible than it was even, even, five or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Randy Newberg on YouTube, has, if you just search how to hunt Colorado or how to hunt Nevada or how to hunt Wyoming, he's done videos that just explains like the draw system or if it's over the counter or how do you do this? Sure. When do you do that? And there's, you know, in the digital, the digital scouting you can do with Onyx maps or Google earth, there's so yeah. much at, at our hands. Um, 
which is both good and bad. It kind of, when I went back to, it's good that more people are getting into it. It's bad when they're right there where you're hunting. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking to a local <laughs> in, in Montana that he had just killed a bull, which was good for him. Um, but it was by far the hardest hunt he had ever done mm-hmm. as, as a resident. I mean, it was, he's like, there's people everywhere. And he's like, you know what it is? It's your phone. And he, he lifts his phone out because everybody's got Onyx maps. And you can look on Onyx maps and you can find yeah. out where those ridge lines are. And mm-hmm. um, so if you want to, if you want to dig in and get into it, it's accessible. It's right there. So, so, you know, get after it, get after it. It's right there. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's, that's very in line with, you know, just talking about in case you mentioned just a little bit ago, there's adventures to be had and uh willingness to get out there and pursue adventures. And it's good to see that more and more people are, you know, like you said, it can be a downside when you, you know, you pull up to a public land area and you got 20 trucks there, but you know, that to see guys getting into it and, and, and ladies getting into it and enjoying it. And, and in many cases, you know, getting their kids, you know, they're, they're learning it with their kids and figuring it out. I mean, that's really, really good stuff. Yep. And in the long run, that will lead to better preservation of the yes. species. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Now, before we get too far along in this conversation, I just realized that we should probably introduce <laughs> who our guest is tonight, Brandon. Uh, as we said, <laughs> as we said, <laughs> we got excited. Yeah, man. We start talking about elk hunting, and Brandon and I, we get we get eyes bigger than uh, our wallets, and and uh, you know, we just start dreaming everything up but, yes. but yeah w- w- before we before we start uh chasing too far down the trail here we better introduce casey and uh beyond just going to college with casey casey is a hunter as we know he hunts out west but has that experience in the midwest as well but uh what what exactly has hunting kind of evolved into now for you casey as as you uh have transitioned your life to the west uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a segment of my life. And I, it's big, I have a relatively large family. I have seven kids, um, with one on the way. And, wow. uh, so we're going to have eight kids this fall, this hunting season. Congrats. So I'm, yeah, so that's awesome. I'm away from time away from my family is, uh, a rare thing. And because we moved out West, we don't have, you know, both, uh, my wife and I are originally from Michigan. Sure. So our families are in, in the Midwest and we're out here alone. So it's not like I can say, Hey, well, I'm going to elk camp this for two weeks and you know, right. your mom or your sister or somebody else can help come and, you know, just fend off all of our, our kids. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, our, our kids are pretty well behaved, but, um, but so, so yeah, it's a segment, you know, it's, it's two weeks out of my year. But it's mm. very intense and it's very intentional. Um, and maybe sure. three, three weeks total, but in any event, it's, it's a small chunk. So I'm not, you know, I'm not driving up north every weekend like a lot of people, you know, in the Midwest are doing every, every weekend mm. they're going deer hunting. Yeah. It's not yeah. like that here. So it's a, it's, it's only a couple times a year where I'm hunting, but it's a much more intentional and intense time where sure. for mm. six straight days I'm, I'm hunting and I'm in the mountains and I don't have cell reception. I can't call my wife. I can't, you know, it's, it's about as intense as you can get from a hunting perspective. And so, yeah, that's what, that's what my hunting life looks like now, now that I lived out West, now that I live out West. Yeah. And let, 
I, uh, I'll just introduce myself super quick, super quick. Sure. <laughs> so I grew up, <laughs> you started to, and then you got distracted again. That's right. <laughs> that never happens to me. I never get stuck on a rabbit trail. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's funny. So I, like I said, I grew up in Michigan. I killed my first deer with my dad and my sister watching me and a tree stand behind me when I was 12 and killed my first turkey when I was 12 and grew up doing all that and sitting in the tree stand with my dad before I was old enough to hunt. And so I did that a lot. And my dad is in the hunting industry. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like he takes his clients out from a relationship building perspective on hunts. And so he just got back from South Dakota. They killed 50 some turkeys. I can't remember exactly how many. Oh, wow. Yeah. In South Dakota, they were hunting tribal land and state land and it's there's multiple tags per person so wow they uh that's amazing they stack them up like yeah they stack them up like cordwood but they got like there's probably going to be 13 to 15 episodes on youtube um and by the time this podcast is released um there's going to probably be about five or six episodes on youtube um awesome released and they are super super entertaining i'm involved in the editing part part of it Nice. And um, so I've watched I've watched the first five episodes and provided input on that, and they are super entertaining. So if you guys, if you listeners like turkey hunting, you'll you'll want to check those out. But yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, that's, that, and that I'll, vouch, I'll vouch for that hunting. too. You know, I I've watched some of the. Actually, I think I watched pretty much. I haven't seen the turkey stuff yet, but um, you know, back when you and I first started talking about this interview a few months ago. I, I got on there and I think I pretty much binged everything that was there. It was that, I mean, it was that good. It just kept you hooked from <laughs> one episode to the next. Very, very entertaining. Uh, your dad has a ton of personality, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which we might, we might have to get him on here. Uh, hey, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be. So that, be... that YouTube channel is hooked hunting and um, just one word hooked hunting. And we're mm-hmm. on Instagram as well. Um, so I'm involved with that strictly from the sense of sometimes I'm hunting and uh, I'm on film. Uh, mm-hmm. so that, that's been that's been super, super fun for me. Um, yeah. But then we went to college in Wisconsin. And while I was there, I hunted um, my butt off for whitetail. There's some big whitetail in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, boy, it's almost four years ago now. Uh, we moved out here to Idaho. So I've in the first three years I could hunt, I've killed three elk. So I've nice. had a good run. That's pretty good average. We got to keep, <laughs> yeah. keep that streak going. <laughs> yeah, yes. definitely. Now, you know, I want to circle back to something that you said here. And I think Brandon, you and I have talked about this, mm-hmm. you know, probably back in January when we were kind of doing our, our look at what's coming up in 2021 for us, you know, and I had said that, you know, I did more of what Casey was talking about, where whenever I had a, an amount of time that made sense, I would try and hunt. And and uh, I think that a lot more value can come from doing it like what Casey's saying, where you might have to kind of cut down the, you know, hunting all the different like seasons within a season, you know, like pre-rut, rut, post-rut, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> winter survival, late season hunt, you know, it, you, 
if you kind of like pick your two best weeks or your one best week, if that if that's all you can get, and just really focus on that those days where you have your other responsibilities taken care of, and you can just mm-hmm. get out there and like get after it. You know, I think it. I think that you probably have a better chance at at filling a tag. You know, no matter what you're hunting, just because you you start to learn the animals more in the moment. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like like a deer during pre rut is very different than a deer post rut. And so if you're hunting, if if all the time you get off is is pre rut deer hunting, well, you're gonna know what those deer are doing after hunting them, you know, four, five days in a row mm-hmm. than you are if you hunt, you know, two days pre-rut, then maybe you get three days during the rut, and then you get, you know, one day, uh, you know, like early December before rifle season, and then you hunt, right? You know, yeah, you're getting a good sampling, but you're not really figuring things out as well as you would if you were if you were in there during that that one specific time just fully devoted in on it you know so i think yeah i think there's some value and then just also you're taking care of your family too when you're not you know running here and there all over the place you're allowing them to have somewhat of a regular schedule and and that kind of thing so yeah i think there's i think there's a lot of wisdom packed in there uh with that but let's talk idaho so we're gonna, and we will circle back to hooked hunting. I want to make sure that we uh, provide the provide a very specific uh, point in the at the end of the show here, where we can tell listeners how to catch up with you guys. But, but um, Idaho, as I said, <laughs> the real last best place because everyone has. <laughs> although it's start, although it's starting to to sound like uh, the words getting out in Idaho too. So maybe we will just all have to go to Alaska to hunt. But um, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I joke, Montana is still a fantastic place. Wyoming's a fantastic place. The Dakotas are fantastic places. And, and so is Colorado, you know, still very beautiful. And you can definitely, you can definitely get lost and far away from people there still. But, but, uh, no, Idaho, I think is a unique state. Um, I, I just really perceive Idaho to be very rugged, you know, like, like here's my, here's my Iowa perspective of Idaho. I perceive it to be very rugged, very steep, very tall portion of the Rockies. And, um, you better be in really good shape if you plan on hunting there (laughs) and and not just, not just physically, but from a gear standpoint and from a mental standpoint as well. Does that, does that work for you, Casey? Yeah. And you know, by and large, that's, that's all accurate. I mean, the, the elk, I, I was, very fortunate and and got a controlled hunt this last year and uh in southern idaho and that was like hunting south dakota i mean that was like it was it was desert um Hmm. it was sagebrush it was it was relatively flat but the vast majority of idaho is really rugged and as a as a whole there's always you know exceptions but as a whole it's it's more timbered okay whereas like wyoming wyoming Hmm. is as a whole again as a whole is more open sure yeah. um so that's just that lends itself to different hunting styles um mm. bulls bulls from our experience bulls are less likely to come into archery range when it's open because they can rely on their eyes whereas in the timber they can't rely on their eyes as much so they've got to come in close enough 
for you to get a shot in the timber. Right. Now there's always exceptions to that and there's variables in all of that, but as a whole, I would agree with that assessment and it is, it is rugged. Colorado is going to definitely be as a whole, probably an average on average is going to be taller than Idaho. Sure. But in terms of steepness and mm. ruggedness, mm-hmm. Idaho is definitely going to be one of your top states. I mean, it, it's all a matter of where you're at specifically, but, um, Idaho is definitely one of the top in terms of ruggedness. Sure. Mm-hmm. With, with that, you know, that statement you made there, and, and I believe, isn't it Pike's Peak in Colorado? That's like the highest point yeah. in the lower 48. So, I mean, yet, you know, that, that makes sense. Is, is oxygen, you know, like getting acclimated to that elevation, is that an issue for a lot of people that, that head out to Idaho to hunt? Do you know? Uh, it, it, it can be, it, it just depends on how high you are. Um, but especially guys coming from the Midwest, you're, you're, you know, pretty much at sea level, mm-hmm. uh, or very close to it. Mm-hmm. And if you're flying out here, so you're not driving. So, you know, driving helps because your body's sure. slowly accumulating, acclimating yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then there's, there's an adjustment. If you go from 2000 feet of elevation to 10,000. In, in a span of one day, or two days, <laughs> yeah, it it doesn't it does there's uh, there's a difference there's a difference yeah for sure but mm. you know if you just use common sense and act, you know you'll be fine as long as you just use common sense and there's a there's a whole lot of research you can do on that um, yeah in terms of details and stuff but sure sometimes sometimes you're camping at top and hunting down or sometimes you're at the bottom camping at the bottom and hunting up and those two whether you're at the top or the bottom has an impact of how high you are during normal you know normal waking hours sure sure so you know most of this episode is going to be featuring elk but um you know we kind of talked about this a little bit ago but can you kind of give us a rundown of what other game species people are chasing after there in idaho Well, people, I have some really good news for you. Um, being the new hunter that I am, and well, I guess I can't really say new hunter anymore. This will be year seven for me. But when it comes to elk hunting, all of my hunting comes from watching it happen on YouTube and uh, hearing about it from really smart people who've done it a whole lot more than uh, I probably ever will. And one of those people is my good buddy, Alex Gruen from East West Hunts. And he's here to give us our tip of the day to be on topic, which the conversation is all about hunting elk out in the great state of Idaho. And uh, Alex, not only does he know all about hunting species all across the West and tag application stuff, but he's also kind of a fitness nut. And you might not know that unless you really got to know Alex. And so, uh, Alex... You want to take it away with our tip of the day? Yeah, we'll do. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on for this. The uh, the tip of the day here in regard to elk hunting and fitness. Uh, so if you're specific in Idaho, Idaho will uh, catch you off guard because it is super steep in a lot of areas. So you know, in in order to really kind of start, I would really talk about getting general fitness being a key. So 
are you moving? Are you doing anything? Uh, you know, are, are you doing any, any fitness whatsoever right now? Because a lot of people start with saying, Hey, I want to hunt Colorado, Idaho, you know, whatever state. And, uh, they don't really know where to start. So I always talk about general fitness first, get a, you know, a 5k, uh, walk in, get some lunges, some pushups, some crunches, some planks, some very basic movements down. That is your, your first thing that you can do just to get your body acclimated to moving. Uh, one of the, one of the things that a lot of people don't know, and they will experience is they will go from zero to 60. And in their first week, in their first week, they will get super sore and they actually will tank their immune system and then they will get sick. And then after getting sick and they're out for a week, it's very difficult to get them back into that mode because they, they got fearful and they got a little gun shy and they just went through that bad experience. So it actually takes them back. So get started in a simple format. Don't get too far into the weeds and just move and set some small goals for yourself. Uh, if you're in, in my boat where you've been working out for a long period of time and you are prepping for a specific hunt, now you jump into what you call sports specificity training or sports specific training, which means I got to do specific movements that would be tailored towards what I would experience on this hunt. So that's now where you get into you know, you know, what's your elevation and, you know, how steep is it going to be? And do you have the ability to mimic some of those exercises? So get yourself a backpack on, on your back. I would use the exact same backpack that you're going to be hunting with and, and load weight into it. Uh, I, I personally train right now with a 40 to 50 pound, uh, weighted pack with, with sandbags in it. I go on hikes, you know, three to five miles with it. And I'm a flatlander, so me comparing that to Idaho is not going to be the same, but I will put that pack on and I will do step-ups, I will do lunges, I will do squats, I will go for, you know, long extended periods of exercise with that weight on me because I need my body to, to basically become acclimated and get my body to understand that it's going to be under this, this amount of load for that period of time. So think about what those sports specific movements are and put those into your regiment. You know, uh, cutting wood is a great example, right? You know, uh, you go in and cut some logs and the next day you're super sore. It's because your body's not used to it. But if you go do it for a week, your body is now already becoming accustomed to it and you're going to feel a lot better, you know? So that's, uh, that's, that's in a nutshell what, what I would give you in a general uh, perspective, but boy, could I get in the weeds on, on certain exercises if you're catering to that Western hunt. <laughs> that's a fantastic tip there, Alex. And man, how relatable when, when we have those New Year resolutions, which, you know what, maybe hunting out West, doing an elk hunt is somebody's New Year's resolution. And uh, we kind of pair that with everything that has to go into it, and we just hit the ground sprinting kind of like you said going from zero to 60 and uh, get ourselves injured or or even like you said sick and now we don't want to return to it and then the temptation is going to be to focus on every other aspect of preparation and uh, we forget the most important thing which is ourselves so that's a that's a fantastic tip and one that i hope you guys can carry into you if you follow along with uh, what we're talking about today with hunting elk 
in Idaho. Now let's go ahead and get back to the show. Uh, definitely the second is um, mule deer, for sure. Mm. Um, white-tailed white deer is pretty big. Um, bear hunting is pretty big. Uh, turkey hunting is probably is definitely not as big as it is in the Midwest or in the okay. East. Um, but people definitely do it. Um, but mm-hmm. just, there's probably not as many total turkeys. Sure. Um, and then there's predator hunting. I mean, there is a game trail in Idaho where um, I had a camera set up for a full calendar year, and I had three different wolves, two different mountain lions, oh, wow. four or five different bears, four or five different bears, a bobcat, a coyote. Oh man. And one, and one, and one rabbit. I don't know how. <laughs> That's so cool though, man, to, to be able to put that out. Yeah. I, I kind of, you know, my biology teacher side of me really wants to see like a, a mountain lion show up on one of my trails because we get them ranging through here on occasion. But uh, at the same time, it's kind of like, do I really want to see a mountain lion where, <laughs> you know, where I go hiking in in the yeah. dark by myself with just a bow yeah. in my hands? You yeah. know, I don't know. Yeah, but right. It'd still be really cool to catch one on camera. So, I yeah. think I, I think at the end of the day, I'll still take I'll still take what I can get on my trail camera. But no, that's 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 really cool. So yeah, a lot of you know a place that's really rich in game variety, but also uh, in quantity as well, and. Um, uh, uh, really kind of a, a tough place to hunt. Now you've been talking about it a little bit, the archery side of this. When I, when I think of hunting in a place that's so physically demanding and then adding on the additional, I guess maybe the right term here is handicap or stress or, or uh, I don't know, the, the challenge I guess it's probably just the best word there of trying to kill an elk with a bow in such rugged terrain. I mean, is that pretty much asking to do the impossible or is there a pretty, you know, effective way if you really study it out to, uh, you know, go and tag an elk with a bow in Idaho? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And it kind of, it goes back to the whole experience part of it and what you're looking to get out of it. Um, if you're an average archery hunter, you know, in the Midwest or the East, it's, it's definitely doable. Um, if you're brand new to the sport as a whole, like, whoa, that, that, that is a different, that's a different challenge because killing, mm-hmm. you're killing your first deer in the Midwest is different than killing your first elk in the, in the West. Those are two different things. Sure. But if you're an average, average archery hunter and familiar with your equipment, um, it's definitely doable. Um, so the advantages of archery is, usually on the archery hunt almost always you're hunting during the rut and if if you're a turkey hunter it's just like it's a lot of the same principles as spring turkey hunting sure where there's there's vocalizations and you you have the opportunity to potentially call in the bull um and so there's an element there in the archery season that does not generally present itself in the rifle season generally the rifle season by then Breeding's over. They're mm. bu- they, they may they may bugle, um, but it's going to be pretty minimal. And generally, 
after that first opening day when they're hearing fire shots fired, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're pretty, they're pretty holed up. It's going to be very similar to the op- after opening day in Iowa or sure. opening day in, in any Midwestern state, those white tailor, you know, they're really, they change quite a bit from opening day yeah. to the second day of the season. It's, it's similar out here. There's not as many hunters out here. So it's, it's a little bit different, but it's very similar in, in that regard. Hmm. So it's obviously your six, your success rates are going to be something when you, when you determine where you're going to hunt, your success rates are going to be something you want to research and success rates are higher for rifle, but, but it's also from an experience perspective, I can't, I, from a hunting perspective, I've never, I can't top right now in terms of things I've experienced. I cannot top holding a bull elk hunting and you've got a bull bugling and you know he's coming and any minute at any moment you're going to see antlers coming through the brush (laughs) that you i've i've yet to experience anything better than that (laughs) (laughs) yeah man wow that's incredible yeah yeah yeah, that is cool to think about just to just to even imagine it man yeah now you did it's it's such a different it's it's such a different game because you're on the ground and you know you guys you guys have probably killed almost all your deer in a tree stand. Probably. Yep. Yep. Especially arch, especially archery hunting. Yeah. So yep. you're on the ground. It's a 600 pound animal with antlers that appear to be, you know, gigantic compared mm-hmm. to any deer you've seen. It's, it's a totally different. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's like you're on a different planet. Yeah. I can't even imagine seeing that, seeing a rack like that in front of me and knowing that I I got a tag for that thing. That would be, yeah. that'd be a pretty powerful moment, I would think. But, um, yeah. you know, you mentioned it a little bit, uh, talking about what's available for public land. Is, is public access really a, a strong point for Idaho or is there a lot of land that's wrapped up in private and, uh, if so, is is it fairly, you know, I imagine you there's probably some some ranchers that, you know, that that's part of their income is, you know, they charge people basically to lease the place for a weekend or something like that, you know, to have some hunting access or something like that. But um if if there is a lot of private access where the good hunting is, how hard is it to get access to that? Uh, it's nearly impossible. Really? If, if, yeah, unless, unless you're going to be, you know, pulling out the checkbook, uh, sure. yeah. Th- yeah. you know, then, then anything's possible. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, just to give you, I don't know the percentages of public versus private land and, and as it relates to where you're to, to hunting areas. Sure. But where we've done most of our elk hunting, there isn't a piece of private land in like 20 miles. So like you, you hunt the entire week without one thought. You don't think at all about like, Ooh, am I near the private line or not? I mean, it's not like anywhere you can go, you can go. There's no limitation other than what is physical, your physical barriers ahead of you. Sure. Yeah. That's really interesting. There's definitely, yeah. That, and that that's such a cool feeling to be like, I can literally go wherever I want for the yeah. next five days. Wow. 
Now that's not true of all areas. There's definitely areas yeah. that are checkerboarded and, but yeah, that is a really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Man, you know, so, so, so is it, is it very competitive traditionally? I know you said this past season was pretty, you know, pretty, uh, popular in terms of a lot of hunters being out and everything. Is it traditionally like that or what is it? What's the, what's the setup typically in terms of a normal day during the season? Are you, are you coming across people or, or enough room to go around typically? Typically there's, you know, typically there's enough to go around. Um, yeah. unless, unless you talk to a, a local who's lived here his whole life and, you know, blames every woe on the non out of staters, you know, there's, <laughs> yeah. always, there's always people like that. Right. Typically there's enough room, but as a whole, you've just, just as a general rule, you've got to get away from trailheads to kill elk. Yeah. Um, do you, just, do you find a lot of, not the, the like, further, like if yeah, Brand if Brandon and I were like, all right, we're going to, meet up in Iowa, Brand, Brandon's going to fly into Iowa, and then we're going to drive together out to Idaho. And then, you know, here you have a couple of flatlanders. <laughs> I know what you guys call us. You have a couple of, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got a couple of. Those are the night, those are the nice terms. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you got a couple of greenhorn elk hunting flatlanders. And we get to this yeah. huge public peace. I mean, that is something that, that Brandon and I, we can't even comprehend. First of all, I don't even think you can go 20 miles in any direction in Delaware and still be in Delaware. No. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, and Iowa ranks like 48th for public land access out of 50, of course. So, so, uh, I can't, I can't really think of that, that con, or, you know, in that context either, but do you find that a lot of, uh, a lot of noobs like us, they pull up and they're just like, so taken aback by what, you know, the, the sensory overload is that they just kind of hover around those trailheads. Cause they're so, you know, worried about either getting lost or, uh, you know, marching off a million miles in one direction that's really not going to give them any kind of opportunity. Is, is that something that you know of? Uh, uh, from your experience that that first timers kind of get caught up with yeah 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 i would say so um generally we try to stay away from like we try to get far enough in and deep enough in that we don't see other people sure that's yeah. you know that our desire is we don't see a single person for a week um yeah but yeah absolutely and if you've never killed an elk you've never broke down an elk you don't know the practical, mm. like how yeah, you actually do it. it too. And that's, in, and that's intimidating to you. The thought of going like, uh, um, you know, 2000 feet of elevation up or down and then killing an elk six miles from mm-hmm. your truck and then having to get it all back. That, that, that can be really intimidating if you've never done it or you just don't have the gumption to do it. Um, yeah. so yeah, that's absolutely like, Oh man, we would never go that far. Cause how would you ever get the elk out? Well, you know, piece by piece, foot by uh, yep. footstep by footstep, you'll you'll get it out. Um, yeah, but yeah, you you always have to consider that because it's a pretty big deal to <laughs> yeah. get it out of the woods. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely want to uh, come I would back agree to that. With that. Okay, yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're you haven't 
if if you're like Brandon and me and you haven't done this happen, this is this is a moment where all of us need to take a deep breath and uh, say, I will not hold myself back by just hanging around the trailhead. I will go and do what yeah. needs to be done to fulfill this dream hunt. Hike back in there, use your, you know, study your maps, get get yourself a good mapping app on your phone. Probably wouldn't be a bad idea to get an old fashioned topo map too, in case your uh, remote battery charger goes dead or whatever. Uh, but, but um, no, I, I think, uh, I think it, I, I honestly, you know, as a fairly new hunter myself, I've been guilty of that. Just hunting a new piece of public ground, you know, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what, yeah. what oh, lies yeah. ahead. And so, you know, you just kind of hang around in those very, very low odd spots. And at the end of it, you're like, why did I do that? You know, why, why did I even, why did I even go if I wasn't going to be all in? And, uh, yeah, I think that, that that's probably a, a problem that, that a lot of people face. So, and sounds like, sounds like they do. So I'm glad you, glad you brought that up. Okay. So, now that we kind of know what the the you know Idaho demands from somebody going there and what it has to offer, what about the elk? You know, you, you mentioned a little bit you like to hunt the rut, so maybe we'll kind of talk in this context. And I was talking about this a little bit too when we talked about just setting aside that block of time to go get it done and learn what your game species is doing during that season that that specific time that you're hunting. What, what ways do you break down elk behavior throughout the hunting season? Do you, do you have like a pre-breeding season, you know, pre-rut, rut, and then you mentioned how rifle season can change their behavior as well. And then just, you know, once you get to that late season, everybody's just trying to survive the winter. I mean, is that kind of how it breaks yeah. down or would you break it down a little bit differently than that? Nope, that's true. Um, that's all true. Randy Newberg has done a good series on hunting pre-rut elk, post-rut uh, elk, and post-rut elk. And so if, you, if you're if you curious on that, I would refer you guys to that Randy Newberg uh, channel and search that. You'll, you'll find it. I don't remember the title, but okay, yeah. you'll, you'll find it. Um, but yeah, by and large, you've got pre-rut, very similar to pre-rut, you know, whitetail, very similar where... Mm-hmm. Cows are coming into estrus, but they're not, most of them aren't into estrus and the bulls are just, you know, they're raring to roll and the cows aren't yet. And then you've got the rut and that, that is where the herd bull has got the herd and it's usually a bigger herd and you've got all the little bulls around the herd trying to get into the herd and the herd Mm -hmm. bulls fighting them off. And so during the rut, it's actually even though they're super vocal in some ways they can be harder to kill because the herd bull in particular, if you're hunting the herd bulls, the herd bull has all the cows he wants. They're right around him. His whole attention is keeping, keeping the herd together. Sure. The last thing he wants to do is to go investigate some other bull that's bugling, which is you trying to call him in bugling. Right. Um, and he's not interested in coming into a cow call cause he's got all the cows right around him. And mm. so, um, Corey Jacobson, um, 12-time world elk calling champion, um, he actually prefers hunting during the pre-rut from from the perspective of killing herd bulls because they're the most apt to come into the call during the pre-rut. Okay. Um, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, And then then the the post-rut's very similar to post-rut whitetail. 
Um, and that's typically during well, what are the usual rifle hunts um, in the West. So, yeah, I would, Randy Newberg is a great resource on YouTube. Um, and I would just refer the listeners to a channel. And I just mentioned Corey Jacobson, mm-hmm. Elk 101. They, he has a lot of instructional videos on how to actually call elk. Um, oh, and nice. I would just refer your listeners to that where, you know, how do you use a diaphragm call and what mm-hmm. sound does that mean? Um, what does that mean to the elk? Um, and then he also right. has a series um, on how to hunt elk using wind and um, and that. And that's a huge, and I actually, I think that's important enough that we should talk about it, but using um, the wind and the thermals to your advantage hunting. It's a huge yeah. thing that doesn't really, a lot of people overlook. Um, yeah. And then the series that I mentioned earlier, the Born and Raised Land of the Free series, the born and raised channel as a whole most aligns with my view of like the perfect elk hunting, per- perfect mm. archery elk hunting. Sure. It's bivy hunting. So they leave a trailhead and they've got camp on their back and they're going in however many miles and wherever the trail or the elk lead them for the next three or four days, they were going to go wherever they want to go. Oof, they just go. Very, Yep. It's a very yeah. grueling style, mm-hmm. but it's a very rewarding. And it's when you talk about an adventure or an experience, it's just like the epitome of like, I don't, I'm going to wake up here today and I have mm-hmm. no idea where I'm going to lay my, lay my head. At, at <laughs> yeah. When I go to yeah. That's amazing. That's intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that yeah. Is. yeah. That's pretty cool. And though. Then there's that's also, a real you know, adventure. There's, there's an element of that, that, where they'll uh, hike in six, seven miles off the trailhead and then set up a base camp. And that's where they stay six or seven miles right. from the trailhead. And that that's a very common practice and very legitimate too. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Sure. So the, but dirt hunting, I'll just two, I'll, I'll, I think it'd be good to focus on just two of the most common mistakes. I'll just say beginners and whether you're beginning from the west or you're beginning from the midwest or you're beginning from the east the first time you elk hunt i would say the two most common mistakes um are not knowing thermals okay um and not being aggressive and not being aggressive enough so i'll talk mm-hmm. about thermal heat rises mm-hmm. um and and we all know if you've hunted at all whitetail you definitely have paid attention to wind because it's a huge mm-hmm. factor in whitetail hunting Yep. And so mm-hmm. you, you guys are all very well attuned to wind direction and mm-hmm. that exists in the mountains. There's definitely, uh, the element of wind. Um, but thermals is as important or more important than wind direction. Thermals are dictated by the temperature of the day. So in the evening, in the morning, when, when the air is cooling, your sense going down the mountain, inevitably, it does mm-hmm. not matter. You it it's going down right if the mm-hmm. if the if it's warming up sun's out your sense going up it does not mm-hmm. matter you can't change that it it is going up now where it gets super tricky is if you're on an open hillside and there's elk in the timber right now i'm standing and my thermals are going straight up but you might get 20 yards into the timber and it's still shaded and cool and now your sense going straight down 
Mm-hmm. So playing thermals is a huge thing when you're calling an elk. Um, mm. It's it's really, really important that a lot of people have, you know, experienced elk hunters really look down on on novices when they just barge into a setup yeah thinking they're going to call in that bull and they have zero chance because they totally ignored thermals and they bugger the herd and the local who's who's hunting that herd right you know and keeping track of the thermals is ticked off because he's like oh you (laughs) you out of stater yeah yeah yeah, that's understandable yeah yeah, that's a huge thing is thermal. So I, I won't spend more time mm-hmm. with that, but just elk one hundred and one yeah, and, and find those videos by Corey Jacobson. Um, and just one other thing about thermals and calling in calling an elk is you, as much as you can, you want to get at the same level as the elk. For for two different reasons. One, it's easier for the elk to come in because he doesn't have to go up or down. In the mountains, every step you take up, you've got to go back down and vice versa. And so it's right. worth to go to gain or to lose elevation. But side hilling is way easier. And so if okay. you can get side hill with the elk, you're putting yourself at advantage. Um, and then the, the other advantage to being side hill is if they're perfectly side hill to you, it, it doesn't really matter if you go in the timber and now your thermals are going down. Or mm-hmm. you go out into open and your thermals are going up because they're they're beside you in the in in elevation. So yeah, whether the thermals sure. are going up or down, it it doesn't matter. So that's a huge advantage of being uh, in elevation, uh, the same elevation as the elk. Sure. So is that kind of um, is that kind of a strategy? Then I'm, I'm glad you kind of defined what you meant by side hiller. So just basically at the same elevation, but but um is that kind of a strategy then when you you were kind of talking about how some guys like, like the born and raised guys will throw everything on their backs and just follow elk. Is that kind of what they're hoping to achieve is to reach that same level of elevation just so that the thermal side of things will be easier to, uh, you know, maintain and, uh, put themselves in the best position. Yeah. I mean, the, the concept of putting camp on your back is, the the principal factor behind that is just trying to get away from people. Mm, sure. Yeah. Because most people, they've got their camp at the truck. And so yeah. they're doing what's called day hunts where they're leaving the truck in the morning, they're going and hunting and they're coming right back to the truck at night. Mm-hmm. And if sure. that's your style of hunting, that's totally, there's been a lot of elk killed that, that way. And that, mm-hmm. it can be a very effective way to, to hunt. Mm-hmm. But if that's your style of hunting, you're on, you can only get so far from your truck. You you just can't get very far from your truck because it's yeah. physically not possible to, to cover that many miles. Sure. So sure. the bivy hunting style is it, it that's the pro where you get away from people. The con is if you kill something, you got to get get it back. And also, it's a time investment. Hiking seven miles in the mountains is no small feat. Yeah. And so you're investing six hours to get to where you're going to go right there might not be any out there and then you got to invest six hours to to hike back and if you have a six-day hunt that's a big sacrifice of time so there's there's pros and cons to each of those approach yeah yeah that that makes a lot of sense for sure well uh but then and i got sorry sorry no no go ahead ahead. yeah go ahead the other the other 
mistake that beginners make, and I, I said it, but I, I didn't explain it, is they're not being too, uh, not being aggressive enough. Mm-hmm. And when I say that is you have to be aggressive, but be aggressive in a smart way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you're hunting from the Midwest or the East, you've spent almost your whole hunting life in a tree stand. And, yeah. and the concept of getting on the ground and going and pursuing a whitetail is almost like you're going to go home hungry. You're not going to kill many whitetails <laughs> yeah. on, the gr- on the ground walking to them. Like sure. their senses, it's just not going to happen very much. Sure. Where, so if you've got a bull that's bugling 150 yards away, a lot of beginners will just sit there and cow call or bugle to the bull mm-hmm. and they'll never they'll never take a risk and close the gap. Hmm. And that bull has no intention of coming in archery range of you because he right. doesn't want to leave his herd right? or he, something, something's just not quite right. But if you just take a risk and get instead of 150 yards and get 75 yards from him, um, obviously you've got to take into account how thick it is and the visibility, you know, you don't, you don't want to just barge in and, if it's super open and they can see you, but taking a risk and being willing to take a risk and doing it in a way that you're paying attention to the wind, you're paying attention to the thermals, you're paying attention to the topography, you're paying attention to the elk. So, you know, like he's gone up and down this ridgeline, up and down this mm-hmm. ridgeline, up and down mm-hmm. this ridgeline. So next time he goes down, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to where he went last time when he went back up. But yeah. It's a risk. Yeah. He yeah. might spot you. Yeah but you might just kill them. Mm. And that's, that's a, in my opinion, that's a mistake. A lot of beginners make is not, they're just, they just freeze because the last thing they want to do is ruin the opportunity. Right. And I get it. I understand it because it's like, wow, I've never heard a bull bugling in my life. This is the greatest thing ever. Like this is awesome. I don't want it to, (laughs) I don't want it to end. Right. Right. Well, that's cool, but, but you're not going to kill it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. You're going to listen to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Ah. right. Uh, I'm, cool. I'm glad I'm glad you addressed that because I actually had that exact thing on my uh, notes, you know, when to get aggressive. And it sounds like mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time, <laughs> but in a smart way, in a smart way, making yeah. sure that you're paying attention to those thermals. And and uh, if you feel a little confused about the thermal thing, it really is pr- a pretty simple concept. And I'm going to actually guess uh, that you've learned this concept, whether you realize it or not, at some point, you know, during the during the junior high or high school days when you learned a little bit of physical science or maybe a little bit of meteorology or even uh, learning the old rock cycle and earth science where you talk about that, you know, matter when it gets heated up, it becomes less dense and the less dense substance is going to, uh, you know, rise above the more dense. And so that our air is constantly shifting around like that. And, you know, as we have our scent stream coming off of us, especially after camping for a couple of days in the back country with, without a shower and uh, um, without a washing machine with scent free detergent for our clothing, we can probably start to get a little bit, a little bit, leaving a little bit of a scent profile on the landscape. Yeah. 
And, oh, uh, yeah. you know, as that, as that air is moving, especially in a, in a really steep and uh, rugged place, like we were describing in Idaho, mm-hmm. you know, where you got all these peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, you know, that air is just gonna, it's going to be drifting around. So I'm, I'm really glad you, you brought that up because, you know, that's something as a deer hunter too, you know, if you really want to be a good deer hunter, you got to understand how thermals work. And that's one of the things that as a, you know, let's see, Brandon, I think this is going to be my seventh season of hunting. I think we, we said the past number of completion (laughs) stuff. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, you know, that's one of the things going into this season and, you know, even in the future that I really want to try and get better at is, Mm -hmm. is, is making decisions based on the, you know, the the minutia like that where you're you're looking at those those really fine details but that's what keeps those trophy class animals alive you know is they they learn yeah. how to utilize mm-hmm. that and i think that's a great point you made too where you know you can almost get get stuck standing there with your goofy smile on your face listening to that elk bugle over and over again and just being content the same thing can happen with turkey hunting you know you hear oh yeah you hear them you hear them ripping through the woods you know you Mm -hmm. you don't want that to end and so in reality it might not have been a bad idea to try and find a smart aggressive way to close that distance and Mm -hmm. yep tag a gobbler but Brandon is a is swamped this week, people. So, uh, um, in fear that we wouldn't get him at all, we're allowing him to uh, leave early. He's if he was at school, he would have a pass. He'd have a little yellow yeah. hall pass, and that pass yeah. would would say Brandon needs to leave at blah 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 time to go and uh, get his braces t- tightened. So, yes. Well, and I do work at a dental office. So, I mean, Hey, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I appreciate it. And Casey, it was nice connecting with you, man. I definitely look forward to having you on in the future and, and your dad as well. And wish you, wish you good luck out in the out West. Hopefully it's a, another year of success for you as you continue with the elk. All right. Hey, thanks a bunch. Hey, Brandon, yeah, man. Brandon, before you go, do you have, yes. do you have any like concluding questions or anything like that, that you wanted to ask for, for Casey, or are you good to go, man? No, I think I'm good. I mean, I, you know, I, one big thing that I'm taking away from it is, you know, one of the things that Casey mentioned earlier about the, you know, the, the two weeks of committed time, you know, I know that one thing for, for all of us, you know, we all know that hunting it can tend to be an all encompassing type of passion. You know, you ask someone who's deeply into hunting, you know, is it, you're a hunter could almost be offended. At, oh, this is just something, this is a hobby. And, mm. you know, for those of us who are truly passionate, you know, we don't view it like that. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have responsibilities, you know, we have families yes. and we have, you know, jobs and, and we have other things that, that are, are more important, you know, dare we say than, than hunting, obviously, especially our family and, and our faith and those things. And so it, it's, it's interesting that, you know, Casey's been able to, blend that well with where he's at, you know, he's able to focus on a couple weeks, two to three weeks out of the the season to be able to really go after them, enjoy that, but then also keep a balance in life. And so, you know, that's, and it's a good reminder for all of us, you know, boy, we can go so far the other way where we're enjoying it so much that we leave other things 
behind, you know, and that's not good. And so, right. you know, it's all about balance. And so that's, you know, that, that's something that I'm personally striving towards having, you know, a better balance of, you know, because I tend to get in the season and, you know, especially if you're trying to mentor people and you're trying to be available and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to do it all. And, and, you know, it, like they say, if you're trying to please everyone, you're probably not pleasing anyone. <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, and, and, and in your effort to enjoy it, sometimes you end up being so exhausted that you don't enjoy it. You know, so the encouragement is, you know, whether you've got, you know, two weeks or maybe you're just a weekend warrior, you can get out every now and then, you know, get out there and enjoy it, but stay balanced, you know, prioritize. And uh, ultimately that's going to lead to the most enjoyment. Sometimes you think, man, if I just go and I go and I go and more and more and more, you know, it's going to be better, but sometimes the opposite is true. And so mm. I thought that was an interesting point that he made early on and something that I'm certainly still a work in progress with and hoping to make more progress of this coming season with. Yeah. Uh, as always, Brandon, such sagely advice here as you, uh, <laughs> as you, uh, well, I, I, I'm getting, I'm getting plenty of gray hair and less hair. And, um, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm inching my way to the, to the back end of going towards 40. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to be that, that older sagely type person anyway. Unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not the, uh, I'm not the, uh, I'm not the 20 year old that was chasing Casey Byers around on a football field anymore. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. Man. Yeah. And you know what, Brandon, that's a good, uh, that's a good reminder that we need to get this elk hunt planned before we're both yes. too, too old. Yes. You know? we're, while we can still climb and do this. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be uh, starring on one of those, uh, those hover around commercials that you see on daytime television. <laughs> My hover around got right. me out to Idaho to hunt elk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I will look forward to it, man. I'm, Hey, I'm, I'm excited to be able to hopefully make some of these things come true and, and enjoy some of these adventures. So, I mean, it's, it's cool to, it's cool to hear adventures from Casey's perspective, others perspectives, you know, because we all have different access to different things. And it's so cool hearing from the West perspective, because there's access to so many different things in such a small area, which is very different from the East, you know, very, you know, I'm very locked into just a couple things and it's so cool to have so much access out there to a lot of different species and different things. So looking forward to hopefully making that a reality at some point. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. Well, you better, you better uh, call it a night, buddy, before you get yourself in trouble. I'm going to, I'm going to need you for a few more uh, big interviews we have coming up here soon. So, so uh, you have, you have a good evening and uh, Casey, let's keep talking some elk here. So one I'm question, good. one question that I, I constantly end up with whenever I'm watching, you know, like we said, watching a YouTube channel, uh, mm-hmm. you know, seeing somebody post, oh, you know, only saw cows this morning or whatever. Is it, I mean, is reality for elk dynamics that outside of the rut, and you talked about, you know, you got, you can have a big bull that's not going to respond to calling because, you know, he's with his cows, but beyond, beyond that time of the year, are elk and cows really running separately quite a bit? And, uh, you know, if so, are they like way far away from each other? Or, you know, when we say they're running separately, they're, yeah, you know, the elk are a couple hundred yards that way and the cows and calves and, you know, maybe spike bulls are, are, uh, by them, you know, over here a hundred yards. How does that dynamic kind of play out?
caribou, elk, moose, antelope, coos deer, trophy whitetails, oryx, sika deer, doll sheep, and mule deer. What do all these critters have in common besides their delicious back straps? They can't all be hunted in the same state, meaning that at least one of these game species will require you to purchase a non-resident hunting license and tag in order to hunt them. Now the rules of the tag application game are wildly diverse from state to state. And if you are looking to complete a bucket list hunt, you are going to want some help to make sure you are setting yourself up for the best opportunity possible. And that's where tag application and hunt planning agent Alex Gruen of East to West Hunts can really help you out. If you've listened to any of the episodes we've had here on the First Gen Hunter podcast with our buddy Alex, then you know there isn't anyone who cares more about the details of tag acquisition than him. Alex not only will help you through the hoops of the tag application process, but he will also help you plan the details of your trip that will get you where you need to be in order to have your best chance at filling your tag. And he is offering a 10% discount for First Gen Hunter podcast listeners such as yourself. All you have to do is purchase a service through his website, alexgruen.com, that's A-L-E-X-G-R-U-I-N.com and use the code FIRSTGEN10 at checkout. F-I-R-S-T-G-E-N, the number 10, and you will receive 10% off the hunt of your lifetime. They definitely spend most of the year separate and, and quite a bit separate. Um, okay. When it's, it's, it's actually very similar to like turkeys. Um, if you're familiar with turkeys and toms and how they, how they live, um, you know, once, once breeding's over those toms, they'll, they'll group back up and get back together and the hens will go and have their babies and they'll kind of be off to themselves and then the babies hatch and then they kind of regroup the hens do with the babies. It's very similar with the elk where the cows will go and they'll obviously when they're wintering, they're all pretty much wintering together um, because they're uh, in the only places where there's food. I mean, that's where they're wintering. They're wintering there for a reason is because that's the only place that they have, they have food. Um, but but even even then, when they're wintering, the cows are going to be together and the, the big bulls are going to be together. You know, you're going to have your raghorns, you're going to have your spikes that are hanging out with the cows. Those are, you know, a year and a half to two, two and a half year old elk sure. that are still with their mom. You know, they're still hanging out. Um, but then when spring hits and summer, they're separate. They are, they are living, you know, pretty far from each other. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say they're in different, totally different mountain ranges, but they're definitely separate. You've got bachelor groups of bulls. And you've got your cows together and then they come together, uh, you know, that pre-rut time, you know, Labor Day weekend, maybe a little bit before Labor Day, they're starting to come together. Um, the bulls are with the cows and then okay. it only heightens. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's, that, I'm glad I asked that because, uh, I've been wondering about that for quite some time. You've gave a great answer there. Okay. Well, yeah. you know, that, 
Well, there, there's one other thing I wanted to ask. <laughs> I can't help myself. I'm a biology yeah. teacher. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what are elk? What are elk pursuing as a food source during? You know, I guess you would say the bulk of hunting season time of year. Yeah, I don't. I don't have good answers. Meaning, I don't know species or very specific things. You know, sure. whitetail. You know acorns are going to be a big chunk of their fall food sure there's nothing really like that in the west it's all going to be graze um so grasses and shrubs bushes um but anything that's lush so if you're by water if you're if you're by water there's going to be food to eat Mm -hmm. um so you know the elk they need security they need water and they need food um so if you find those three things and you're away from roads you're there's a good chance you're going to find elk. Sure. No, that's, that's, that's a good little rule to, to put in there. Kind of follow that green. You know, I, I kind of do that too, a little bit during, uh, archery whitetail season, you know, as you kind of get to that transitional time of year, deer, you know, a lot of times we think, oh deer, they want to be out in that corn. Well, not really. Their, their whole digestive tract has to change. Now, it's great for them during the winter when, you know, they're trying to just stay alive and find some calories, but, but, and their digestive tract will, will switch over for them to, you know, pull new nutrition from eating grains, but by nature, they're, a, they're a browsing animal. So they, they like to have yeah. that green food source. And so I, you know, I, I kind of go by that same principle and it seems to help, you know, you, you, you do seem to come across more deer when you kind of prioritize those types of food sources. So that, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense from, uh, <laughs> my, my white tailed deer brain perspective, but, but, uh, I think, I think, yeah. I think that's a good point. Okay. So, you know, we've kind of talked about what Idaho is like, where we're, where we are hunting these elk kind of what we, you know, we got to be prepared for in that regard. We talk about the biology of these elk. What's the Casey buyers, you know, kind of take us through your approach to a week of elk hunting. What you you just pulled up on, you know, you just, you just pulled up, you're getting out of your truck, you're getting loaded up, you're heading well past that trailhead because you're trying to get away from people. You know, what's your, what is your progression now that you're well on your way down, down the trail, you know, as far as what you're, what you're doing to set yourself up for success this week? Sure. Well, because I live out here, I have, I have luxury to be able to, you know, scout areas or research areas. And so it's a little bit different scenario than somebody coming out for the yeah. first time and going elk hunting and kind of basically like picking a dot on a map and saying, we're going to go elk hunting. Sure. Um, and I've, there's also just a couple spots that we've hunted a lot. So we know the area very, very well. But by and large, you're covering ground and you're bugling and you're cow call. And if, if you just keep doing that long enough, you will come across elk. <laughs> now, <laughs> it, might take, it might take you a little while and you might have to go further than you think. Um, but if you just keep covering ground, Keep paying attention to the wind and the thermals, like I said, and, you know, be smart about how you move through the mountain. Sure. So that, you know, if, if you're coming to this basin and, you know, you can see 
it's open with the exception of one pocket of timber and your thermals are going down, you know, you can cover ground all you want, but if you're walking above it, above that bowl of timber, it doesn't matter how much ground you're covering, you're gonna, and it doesn't matter if there's elk there, they're, they're gonna be gone once they smell you. So as long as you're smart about it and you keep covering ground, you keep bugling, cow calling, you're, you know, that's, that's the recipe for success. And, you know, you watch, I, I've referenced this a couple of times, but that born and raised land of the free, uh, you know, they just, they just have a tenacity about them where they just keep going hmm. and they have a, they, they have a saying and it's a really, it's so true. It only takes one. It hmm. only takes one. And yeah. it just takes one bull that's willing to play and one bull that's willing to, to come in. And that's, you, you can take a week long hunt and just boil it down to it only takes one. Mm. And so you just keep going. You keep, keep pursuing that one. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's really well said. I like that. It just, it just takes one. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> it takes one to, uh, definitely, uh, fill your game bags too. Right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> let's talk about that because I think that that y- you, you addressed that point earlier and I hadn't even thought of that for as far as why people just hang around that trailhead, but you're absolutely right. That would be, that would be on the forefront of my mind. Almost the entire time I was hunting is if we shoot one of these things now, what? So yeah. can, can you kind of, um, explain the the whole you know progression get an elk on the ground obviously you got to get your tag on it but what where do we go from there yeah uh so from there it's a lot of work um i've i've heard it said um the three the three best feelings in hunting is when you shoot the animal when you find the animal and when you get it back to the truck <laughs> and that, <laughs> that is, that, that, that is that, very true. That, the, the stage of finding the animal and getting it to the truck when it, when it's elk hunting, that's, that's, there's some work and sweat and calories that you're, you're going to have. So the, the, some guys will do it, um, where they just, uh, quarter it out and they leave the bone in. And I think that's absolutely bonkers and crazy. There is yeah. some advantages, to just grabbing a front quarter and putting it in your pack. The advantage is that it provides structure. So you don't sure. just have this floppy meat just flopping around. Cause you know, uh, it, it, when you debone the meat, you've got just meat. Right. It's just yeah. in this bag. Yeah, yeah, there's no, there's no support. Kind of, it's just, yeah. So there, that's the only advantage to this bone in. Well, the, and the other advantage is it's just quicker. Like it's way quicker to just debone. Yeah the hind quarter or the front shoulder and put it in your pack and get going. Um, but pound, the most efficient way is to, to debone the elk. So, um, it's, it's commonly called the gutless method. So you don't, you do not gut the animal. Okay. Um, you just, you start at the very back, the top of the back, you start, um, skinning it. And so you peel, the half of the animal you take his his hide and you peel it from the top of the back down to the belly okay so that it flops over and then you have access to the back strap so you pull that back strap out and then you keep going with that hide and then you've got access to your your front and hind quarters 
And to be totally honest, I'm not an expert at uh, cuts of meat, particularly on the hind quarter of front front, front quarters. We pretty much make into burgers, so it, I don't really care okay, about yeah. cut of meat or ruining it or oh man, you cut right through that cut of meat. Um, so front front quarter and neck meat, it's it's just burgers. So you're you're getting smaller chunks of meat that you know you're just chopping up and off, and it's going into your meat bag. <clears throat> your back strap is obviously one of your best cuts of meat right hind quarters you're gonna you're gonna make roasts out of steaks and or burger you know there's cuts of that that can do any of those i just try to follow the muscle lines and if you've if you've processed your own deer you you know what i mean the muscles are divided by um well you probably know kent the the t- proper term it's not mu- it's not tendons but well um, yeah you have yeah you have like your different there's terms for when a muscle like the the way the shape it goes into its tendon you know like you have like some tendons that yeah. are are really flat and you have some that are more branched but 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 yeah i get what you're saying you know you kind of follow that grain and and that connective tissue called uh yeah. uh areolar tissue i believe is the is the term and uh that that tissue kind of um you know serves as your dividing line for sectioning yep. off those those different cuts yeah yep yep so then once you've got you've got the hide off you you've gotten your back strap you've gotten the neck meat on that side that you have off you've gotten your front shoulder off and your hind quarter then <clears throat> then you flip it over and you just repeat so it's the same exact process for the other side hmm. um so you definitely need to have good quality game bags um they make a game bag that's like mesh Sure. Uh, that's like super super stretchy and that i mean you could do it but i you want to get the material that's uh it feels like a pillowcase it kind of looks like a pillowcase that's okay, yeah. in my mind that's the best that's the best material it's not cotton it's a synthetic material but it looks and feels like a pillowcase sure that's that's the best style of game bags to use in my opinion kind of a um, silky texture to it right yep and um you want to be very careful about putting your meat in a garbage bag Mm. um, because it can spoil real quick uh especially if you're putting the meat in warm so you just killed the elk you just found it and you're you're pulling the meat off and it hasn't had time to cool off yet and you put it into a garbage bag you can get some spoiled meat pretty quick yeah but if the meat's cool the garbage bag can be really nice because then you don't get blood in your pack you're not getting you know that and that if like if you kill your elk on the third day of the hunt and you've got your buddy has another tag and you're going to keep hunting that elk that blood from you packing it out on day three and four can stink in a couple days like Hmm. pretty bad so a garbage bag can be nice but you just have to be you 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 very much have to be pay attention to the temperature of the meat yeah Um, but if you get that meat in if you get that meat in shade right away and you get it to where there's air and air can get to it, that meat will cool off pretty quick. Mm. And, uh, you know, a lot of people worry about the meat spoiling. As long as you get that, that meat off the bone and in the shade as quick as you can, uh, that meat cools off real quick. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good helpful tip there. And, and, uh, I would, I would, uh, concur with, you know, the science behind what, what, Casey's talking about here, you know, you just need to get that, that temperature, that, that heat that's locked in that muscle, 
you need a lot of escape. And so uh, having those game bags with with plenty of breathability there allows for that heat to to get a- away from the meat and hinders bacterial growth and and uh, you got you got a better cut of meat going home. So yeah, I think that's a mm-hmm. I think that's a, a great point to make there. So. Wow, that that actually sounds way more doable now than I ever thought. You just kind of have to, you know, take this very methodic approach. I like that start on one side, then flip it and do the same thing on the next side approach. That that really helps uh, helps picture how to do all that. But but um, when I guess and maybe I'm just talking about my own self here. When I approach a task, like a really heavy hitting task, like like breaking down an elk, not that I've ever done that, but uh, yeah. you know, you kind of almost get yourself like in this this level of optimism, like oh, I'm just going to work really hard. I'm going to be really focused. I'm going to I'm going to do everything just right. I know normally this takes X number of hours, but I'm going to try and get it done way faster time than that, so I can, you know go take care of this other responsibility over here or go do this, this thing over here or whatever, or in this case, get back to the truck. But, but, um, what is a realistic time frame of somebody will say, we'll say of a person with, with, uh, a friend or, or, you know, maybe even a guide or something. What's a realistic time frame for breaking down a bull elk? It depends on, how many people and you know, if those, if they, if those people have experience or not. Sure. Um, but I would say, you know, you got two people that are familiar with deer, even if they're just, they've never cut out alcohol, but they've processed their own deer. Like they mm-hmm. just know the anatomy. Then I would say, you know, as long as you just keep steady at it, it you know, two hours, two hours, you, from the time you start, Till the the meat's off the elk and in bags, two hours. I would say. Wow, that doesn't that yeah, but that's I, that's a lot better than I thought it would be. Yeah, but to to, to be honest, I you, you probably know how it goes. Once you have blood on your hands, you're not really looking at time, and I've never really yeah. It, so I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know. It just as long as it's uh, not but, dark when you're leaving, right? <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not it's not. It's not earth shattering stuff. If you've done it for deer, it's just a bigger, it's just a bigger deer. It's the same, it's the same animal, essentially. Same right. process, essentially. Right. So, yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a really good point there for sure. Okay. So, uh, we got our deer bagged. It, it took us about two hours to get it all, all signed, sealed and delivered, figured out how to hunt hunt the thing obviously because we got it on the ground got it tagged and um you know what what comes next for the the packing part i mean i know one of the things your family used because i saw it in a hooked hunting video are pack goats but you know what are some of the options there for for a reasonable way to get this meat off off the mountain yeah well, more and more, maybe sometime we'll talk specifically about pack goats because that's a whole subject in and of itself. <laughs> I'm but sure, yeah. More and more people are getting, um, the, mo- there's more and more availability, at least as I understand it. I could be wrong, but I think it's increasing of more and more people either renting llamas or renting horses. Um, sure. So stock animals to help with that. 
Um, but but the vast majority of elk are taken off the mountain without. The, well, I, I don't know if I should say the vast majority, but the majority of elk, especially archery hunting, are taken off the mountain on the backs of humans. Um, but yeah, stock animals can help for sure, for sure. But you know, you you could find your elk right before dark. You're six miles from your truck, and you don't have you, you did a day hunt, so you don't have a sleeping bag with you. You don't have a tent with you. You're six miles from your truck. You shot the bull midday, and you tracked him, and you found him right before dark. Now you got to cut him up. Now it's eleven o'clock, and now what do you do? You, you know, right. there's definitely been people that have started a fire and just had a really sh- short night of it and didn't sleep very well, but nodded off with the fire and then woke up in the morning and went to the truck. Or you take a, you know, you, when you're in that situation, you just, just use common sense. Uh, you might, you might take a light load out, um, where you take the head out and, you know, you take all your gear out that you've got, you're hunting with, and then you come back the next day for the second trip. Um, but there's been plenty of elk packed out, you know, after dark or trips happen happening after dark. Hmm. Yeah, so it's a, it's an all in thing. I mean, if you if you're uh, if you're going if you're going for one of those elk, you you might have to you might have to have it like like Casey said, a short night. And I imagine you know if you didn't yeah. have a tent and maybe have a little bear annoya going on, you know, with having all this uh, fresh meat around you, uh, it's probably pretty tough to catch a wink of sleep. But uh, I I think um, you know it just kind of really sets the tone for what it takes to go and not only just be successful with hunting elk, but to uh, get that thing back home, get it on the dinner table eventually and, and enjoy, uh, enjoy what, you know, that elk has to offer for both you and your family. So a lot of work, but I imagine that's what makes it taste all the sweeter too, is when you got to work that hard for something, it just feels good to, uh, to, um, be successful. So I think that's, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a, that's a great perspective on hunting elk in Idaho. But before we wrap this one up, we uh, need to uh, hear a little bit more about hooked hunting. So this is a show that as Casey has stated, his dad is really the main, I don't know if you'd really call him a host uh, because it's not like he's, you know, constantly introducing people or something like that. He's, he's uh, kind of, I guess, more so the main character. He's the, he's the person you really get to know when you watch this show. And it's very well done. Editing is great. Um, have a great intro and, uh, you know, just really good hunting content. A lot of kills on camera. And um, uh, I, I watched that uh, mule deer episode too when uh, they went out to South Dakota. Man, that was mm-hmm. that was fun. I think there was some whitetail in there too, if I remember correctly. That they were yeah they were tagging. Yeah. But yeah, what a what South, a South Dakota. Sorry, I'm interrupting. No, no, go, no, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead, Casey. <laughs> I'm just so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> South Dakota is it's such a sleeper state, uh, in my mind. And it's sure. so, it's such, it's so more, such more, there's such more accessibility just from a distance perspective, you know, from people from the Midwest, it's a 12 hour drive instead yeah. of a 30 hour drive. Yeah. Um, and man, there's a lot, there are so many animals, you know, you don't have the diversity of, uh, of, uh, 
animals in terms of elk and bear and wolves and you know but man there's a lot of animals in south dakota a lot of animals yeah and south dakota is one of iowa's neighbors so i would definitely not have to drive too far to uh to uh, get yeah. access to some of what's going on there. Yeah. And Nebraska, I would say, is kind of the same way, too. You know, they got mule deer, and and uh, I know they have – I think they have even some different species of turkeys than what we have around here. So, yeah, a lot to be – a lot to be – to to be excited about and to pursue and uh kind of going all the way back to the beginning of this conversation when casey said yeah you need to just like try and go <laughs> and not not wait yeah. forever to to you know make something happen so no, i think that's i think that's good advice there for sure okay so hooked hunting uh on Instagram, right? Do you know what the handle is for that off the top of your head? I will definitely share all this information in the show notes as well, though. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, hooked hunting, one word. So uh, hooked, H-O-O-K-E-D, and then hunting. Okay. And that's the same as YouTube, all, all one word. Yep. Sure. So get over to YouTube, get over to Instagram. And then I don't remember, do you guys have a, a Facebook page as well for, for that? We we don't, and we by the time this airs, we might have a website or not. Uh, if it, if it's not up, it's about to be up. That's okay. Almost done. Sure. Yeah. Well, and um, I can always yeah, I can always been, share that link at a later time too on on one of my pages. Sure. So. Sure. And you know, I have a hunch we we might get together again and ha- have another discussion. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I was thoroughly enjoying our conversation and it answered a lot of questions that I had about elk, even though I've, you know, talked several times now with with some different people about hunting elk. This really cleared up a lot of both misconceptions or even confirmed some of my suspicions, I guess you would say. But uh, yeah, super Mm -hmm. helpful. So make sure you follow Casey and Hooked Hunting and uh, make sure you uh, take some of these uh, things that that uh casey gave us here not even some all of them and find ways that you can learn from them and plot and apply them and uh you know be a little bit more efficient and more effective when you're out in the field and um you know when you're done checking out hooked hunting be sure you head over to thehuntfishlife.com been some good turkey content going up on the Hunt Fish Life Facebook page. So you'll definitely want to be over and, and taking a taking a peek at that. Uh, but also uh, don't forget about their store where they sell all kinds of cool shirts and decals and hats and stuff like that. And when you're done checking out these two fine fellows, remember we all went to college together. Uh, head over to <laughs> firstgenhunter.com you'll find all my my latest stuff that's going on there um I, as i've said before summer is coming people so i will definitely have more time here soon to finally edit some of that video uh footage that i got from last deer season and uh also um you know update the articles and uh, i got some good ones planned for for some uh good good topics of of uh conversation i think for how we can be better prepared for for um you know getting what we need to hunt that kind of thing but without without flapping my gums um for too long let's go ahead and put a bow on this one great interview here with mr casey byers thank you so much casey again for coming on the show and to everyone listening in 
We love you. We th- we thank you so much for giving time out of your week, probably your drive to work. Hopefully, it makes your 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 work day a little bit better to start start off listening to us. You know, I hope it does. It does for me. I always tune in. But thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, people, take care and take someone hunting. Mm-hmm.